cliffcentral.com. Welcome to Futurology, everybody. My name is Brett Sinclair, more commonly known as BS or Squirrel Rocker, the African Digital Disruptor. So, guys, I tell you what, it's great to be back on the show. I've, uh, I've been a little bit busy and consumed at the bank at the moment. I promise you it's not because of the Gupta economies. Or is it? Who knows? Anyway, I must admit, I'm missing, I'm missing my, my, my two co-hosts, uh, B2 and Mike. Sadly, 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 they're on leave. Um, I bet it is uh, well deserved, but I highly doubt it. I think those lazy fuckers are just sitting on the beach doing nothing. I'm expecting a couple of WhatsApp streams coming from them, bossing me around. I'd really like to hear from you guys on the Twitter stream. We'll be monitoring that, which by the way, we have an actual Twitter account. At Futurology Show. So if you'd like to use that, please reach out to us on at Futurology Show. You can still use hashtag Futurology, but we're going to move on to a proper uh, a Twitter tag now. Um, guys, today's going to be really exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about mobile. Um, I spent the first 10 years of my life in the mobile space, uh, living in about 32 different countries. Um, so we're going to focus on what the future of mobile is. And where it's going. We're also going to talk about what happened in uh, Mobile World Conference. It, it happened about a month ago. Really exciting space if you're in the mobile world. Um, so get an understanding of what's going on there and, and really reach out into the future and, and, and see what's happening. Now, my guest today is also somebody who's uh, lived on the planet for or, or visited something like 26 different cities. His name's John Hula. He's an absolute legend in the mobile space. <laughs> uh, he's ex-chairman of uh, Mobile Monday, and they're in a fabulous networking group and host probably the most awesome parties of the year in the mobile space. Um, he also is a director at Digitata. He gets to travel all over Africa. He really has his finger on the pulse of mobile in Africa. John, welcome to the show, bud. Brett, you magnificent bastard. How the hell are you? You see, I paid him to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great to be here, and thank you for the opportunity to come talk about something I'm extremely passionate about. I've been, I've been in, in telecoms for, for 13 years now, pretty much my entire working career. Because you're an old man, bud. I am. At 35, I'm an old man. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to getting as many gray hairs as you. What uh, hair? <laughs> so it's, it's been awesome, this experience. And I've been so fortunate with the, with the businesses that I've worked with to be exposed to, to, to mobility across the African continent, um, 22 countries, numerous mobile operators, numerous projects. So I hope some of those experiences we'll talk about today. Um, I also, like you said, we want to, to touch on Mobile World Congress 2017. You know, that was at the, the end of uh, Feb, early March. Uh, really the, the center of the mobile universe when it comes to anyone playing in the mobile space. So we'll touch a little bit about that, some of the things that I saw, um, some of the observations coming out of, of Mobile World Congress, and then we'll touch on what we, you and I think of, of the future of mobile in, in the African continent. I think that's super exciting. I think it's, uh, if we keep to the format of the show and, and really figure out what's happening now, I'm really interested in this African game, yeah. or, you know, what's happening in mobile. Um, mobile's kind of at the center of where a lot of innovation's happening. Yeah. I mean, if you think about what's come out of of South Africa alone is please call mm. me backs, um, prepaid airtime. Mm. Um, you guys, 
What do you guys invent? <laughs> a little thing called dynamic tariffing, intelligent pricing for, for mobile operators. How fabulous is that? Being Absolutely. able to offer a cheaper price to people in less fortunate areas. Yes. I mean, that's, that's world changing, right? It's, it's about, you know what it is? It's about enabling communication, giving someone the, the ability to be able to make a call with, which they'd not normally have had the ability to be able to do. Um, I think as has been well documented for, for numerous, for, for, for a number of years now, the, the cost of, of telephony, you know, the cost of voice calls, data calls is, is often a prohibitive factor for consumers. Um, I think there are numerous initiatives um, across the continent from mobile operators through to regulators mm. that are trying to address this. But it boils down to the affordability of a subscriber, how much money they actually have to be able to spend on telephony and how much bang for buck they can actually get. So what we're doing at, at Digitata is trying to enable that, trying to find ways, innovative ways of dynamically pricing services to customers for mobile operators so that we can get more value for subscribers, get more value for mobile operators. And and we're touching on a number of other interesting things. So it's 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 a hell of a lot of fun. Um so we saw that and and I think that came to a fore again at, at Mobile World Congress again this year. We we're very lucky we do exhibit there. Um so I got to see the the events. I mean just to give your audience a bit of the size and scale of what Mobile World Congress is. Happens every year in Barcelona. Um, 108,000 attendees. Oh my God. Are these guys in suits? A lot of them. <laughs> a lot of bankers, Brett. Your Bank- people. Ah, come on. And I say that you would think that you wouldn't see bankers, but you do. You see yeah. people from a cross section yeah. of industries because of how much mobile is touching their consumers. I guess payments is a big play, right? It is. There was a big, there was a big talk about payments. Um, there was a lot about digital transformation in businesses. Um, a lot of talk around 5G. Um, and we can touch on that a little bit later. Chatbots, intellig- uh, artificial intelligence, um, mobile apps, you know, all the normal buzzwords that come out of this sort of thing. And, and you, what is great to see is how people are still evolving those. Um, another one is, I'm sure, come up numerous times on the shows is big data. And what is big data? Um, and, and you see sort of companies still, still beating on that drum, trying to understand what it is. Mm. Um, but I think there's a, there's a bit of a move now. If I look at, at, at all these themes and it's around being customer centric, I think people are starting to look at the consumer at the central point. I guess mobile is also a very personal device, right? Mm-hmm. It is you from the handset. Well, unless you own an iPhone, of course, because then you're sheep. So there's nothing personal Bear. about an iPhone, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. If you look, and my my focus has always been the African continent, and we are a mobile only, mobile first mm. community across the the entire continent. Just to give your your audience just a bit of a size and the scale of of the African continent when it mm. comes to telephony mm. services, almost 600 million unique people have some form of telephony service in in the African continent. Okay. Now I remember reading a stat that only 450 million people had a toothbrush. How important is mobile to people? I mean, that's and, incredible. And access right? to water, access to electricity, but pe- a lot of a lot of subscribers, millions of people, put that as almost their default mm. that they need some sort of telephony services. Mm. Obviously, things like bread, water, you know, that sort of thing become very important. But mobile is that communication point mm. for for a lot of people. If you just look at so six hundred million people. 900 million connections. So there's people that are running around with multiple SIM cards 
because they're trying to look for the best deal on the mobile yeah. op- on the networks that they're operating in. So, from a handset perspective, your your passion, for example, mm. you, you and we've, we've this has been spoken about numerous times. Dual SIM card phones. Two simultaneous SIM cards rocking that phone with a subscriber trying to understand where they can get the best possible deal. I mean, I'd love to get to understand that a bit more because you always think dual SIM means I have to switch my phone off and then switch on another SIM mm-hmm. card. Is that how it works? No. Is it all running, just- running both simultaneously at the same time? And you can choose which SIM card you want to use based on the people you're calling. Remember, a lot wow. of mobile operators, it's cheaper to phone what is called on net or to another subscriber on their network. So you want to be able, if you're, Family, your friends are on the same network you are. It's a lot cheaper than if you're phoning to another person who's on a different network. And hence so, color coding on your contacts. Yeah, well, you have to try. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's, so consumers are aware of this. Mm. That's what, what we call the price elasticity of demand. Mm. Um, a very economic term, but we see it at work every single day. Consumers will react within hours and days to a change in price, change of, a change of parameter. Yeah. And then they start to, you could literally start to shift mobile, mobile behavior. So th- this, this continent is massive. We all know that there's, there's for, for many as we've spoken about the potential of mobile. The real question I still keep asking myself is, are organizations, people, OTT, over the top players, or are, more commonly known as the internet, the internet, everyone, <laughs> your former employer, um, are they pushing the boundaries of what they're allowing consumers to do? And are yeah. consumers actually taking up those services? Yeah. Have they the ability to be able to take up those services? And I guess that explains what you said about uh, Mobile Com- uh, Congress really focusing on Offering real customer value. Mm-hmm. Like, focus on the customer first. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. here in the banking industry. That's all we're working on at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's great to see the mobile operators are starting to understand that offer real value, you will be able to extract value yeah. out. And Your customers will stay with you. They'll stay with you. Churn is a big problem, right? It's now, a massive right? problem. It's been a problem for years. And, and, and mobile operators, will, we don't have to speak to the converter when we, when we talk to mobile operators about this, but they, I think there's a big push now for a lot of innovative ways on how they can reduce that churn. Mm. Be it in your space, for example, you, you've played around with chatbots, for example. So mm. they are now, mm. and we saw at Mobile World Congress, mobile operators, predominantly in the developed world, I must be honest, mm. but predominantly in the developed world, Putting in self-service mm. chatbots mm. to help consumers understand their mobile services better, mm. you know. So there's there's a, there's this sort of engagement point now of how consumers are driving the way mobile operators are trying to engage with them, so that everyone can actually score out of the value that's actually being being created. Fascinating, hey. So. <clears throat> I mean, as I say, fascinating. I used to work in the world of billing, and it was always about trying to customize the tariff and mm-hmm. squeeze more value out of the buck. I'd love to get your view as we enter this world of smartphones, both um, across Africa, the kind of penetration rates that you think we're at in smartphones, and 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 the elasticity and and personalization of the data point, because we're entering that world of of data as a commodity, no, right? No, absolutely. So. Now let's open up a topic of conversation, uh, and uh, and I thank you for that, Brett, because it's it's it, you got to come at from from a number of it, a different angles. So the, the first angle I'm going to talk about is about affordability. So 
the $50 smartphone, the utopian $50 smartphone. Oh, what happened? What happened? What happened to that? No, they, they're there, but that's great. $50 is still $50, you know, <laughs> regardless it's of that. It's a fortune in it's Africa. A fortune. Okay. So you've got that point. Okay. And, yeah. and you've got, you know, a lot of handset manufacturers that are producing devices that, that do meet that, that constraints, but it's still a big, Let's talk for the businessmen and business ladies on our call. It's a big capital investment for someone who's trying to put bread and water on the. Now, I wonder why banks don't get into the game of looking at a smartphone as they look at a mortgage in their house, right? You know, you microloan your asset. Ooh, I think, Isn't I think, quite you, interesting? I think you're going to see a lot of it. We'll touch on microinsurance a little bit later, but I think there's, oh. there has to be a point where you have to make it affordable for people to enter the game. Mm. Um, to go, we, Brett, you know, we're going to jump around these topics mm-hmm. a lot today, but, you know, let's, let's jump to just quickly, just for the, for the purpose of this discussion, jump to something like 4G. Everyone's talking about 4G mm-hmm. and 5G. But if you don't so, have a device. I think before you go into it, yeah. uh, for me, a G spot is obvious, right? Of course. But is 4G and 5G just a better G spot? What is it? Oh, you always want to tingle the G spot just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I am right then. <laughs> it's, it is, but it, for me, and, I, and this is my very personal opinion mm-hmm. about 4G and 5G in the African continent. Mm. You need a subscriber, a consumer needs the device to be able to take advantage of the 4G, 5G technology that's available. If they don't have just a device, sits oh, it's just sits there. just sits there. And it becomes a, a big, it does unfortunately, um, it does become a, an ex, a, a, a mobile operator trying to find a competitive advantage over the next operator. Mm. Um, which first is to quite, market, right? First to market. And that are, May it long continue, okay? May it long continue. But ultimately, you still need a subscriber that has the ability to be able to access those services, okay? Now, you go all the way back to what we're talking about, the $50 smartphone. The guy finds his $50, or in many cases, a device is handed down to him. Mm. Because someone else has got a device. I'd love to know the lifespan in Africa. I know feature phones is, is ridiculous yeah. as we're going into five, six, seven years of lifespan and, and they've got repair shops in that space. Is that the same case in smartphones? Is there that hand on? I think there is. I, I do think, well, we'll touch on the Nokia 3310. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there is. If you've got a good quality device that has got good battery life, mm. okay, Subscribers will keep it in. Why throw it away? We, unfortunately, let's call a spade a spade. If you're in the high LSM, we've sitting in drawers. We've probably got three or four smartphones that we've got in our drawers. Mm. And I think many of your, your audience will, will attest to that. That's not the case necessarily in your broader mass market. Those phones aren't necessarily available. We're not sitting on the stockpile of phones. Mm-hmm. So the phones will be handed down. Um, Nokia, for example, even though not nearly as relevant as it was five, ten years ago, still has that, in my, my view, and we've seen the, the resurgence of Nokia, and we'll touch mm-hmm. on that, because of the build quality, because of the battery life, because people know that this thing is going to survive. It's not going to drop and crack. The brand in Africa for Nokia is the same as Vacuum and Hoover. Is it not? Oh, that's so a good analogy. I like that. Literally, yeah. will say, you know, call me on my Nokia, yeah. even though they may not have a Nokia. It's still their phone. Yeah, I the think, brand is closely aligned. I, I think it products. was like that. Yeah, and I think yeah. I hope, I hope, really hope that with what's what um, HMD Global, who are the new distributors mm. of, of Nokia devices um, globally, I really hope that's what they're going to leverage on with mm. with with the consequences. There's a lot of I still I think inherent equity, yeah. brand equity nostalgia around the the Nokia device. So. 
going back to our $50 smartphone, you put that capital investment in. Now you've got the operational cost, and that's putting dates onto the phone. That's running the phone. Mm-hmm. If you look at that life cycle, it's a lot of money for a consumer to participate. To, to it's, a, it's, a, it's a barrier to entry. For a $2-a-day earning capacity, right? Well, exactly, Brett. I mean, your what we call average revenue per user or mm-hmm. ARPU in the mm-hmm. mobile world, mm-hmm. um, across the African continent, varying people measure this very differently. But for broad strokes for your audience, between maybe 2 and $5, depending on the market you're in, per month, is what people are spending on mobile phones. And trying to offer a mobile service over, over that. Okay. It's, yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's um, difficult. I yeah. keep hearing the term tax. Tax is a big problem in Africa. And I'm yeah. starting to understand, at those kind of price points, when the government's putting tax levies on mm. importing handsets and stuff that are up to about 30%, that's a big chunk of the uh, revenue to be able to uh, operate a mobile well, service. And right? this is where I do I do have, I do feel the, the pain of mm. mobile operators. You know, you, you will what? have... I Did do, you just sympathize for op- a mobile do, operator? They do pay my bills, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they, they're under pressure with, with margins. They've got a big margin... They've still got, they're still running businesses. Those cell phone towers don't operate themselves. The diesel mm. doesn't just magically appear with fairy wings and pixie dust into the generator. Mm. Unless but, you're in uh, Dubai. Unless you're in Dubai. Or Nigeria, depending on the price of oil. <laughs> but you, it, it, it's still, they're still running a business. They still have to focus on their margins. They still need to keep the lights on. As you wouldn't have telephony services. You get regulatory bodies, governments implementing taxes on top of those services and it sometimes can be into double figures for just on the on the prepaid airtime. It becomes another barrier. Mobile operators can't drive their costs down and, and in turn pass that saving onto subscribers because of that. And I think we need to hold on to those cost points, <clears throat> right? <clears throat> because I think as we start looking into the future and starting to try and identify what is going to be that disruptor in the mobile space. Yeah. More and more, it feels like it's going to be the access point, whether it's 5G, whether it's Wi-Fi, yeah. but price is definitely attached to that. Mm. Now, there's a couple of other areas like I'd like us to kind of focus on before mm. we get there. Um, if you break the mobile industry into three core sectors, you've got your form factor, I'm being very, very picky on that word form factor. Okay, I mean so. handsets, okay. but I'm kind of interested where that's going to go. Okay. Um, you've got airtime and the price of airtime. Mm. And whether that's airtime or data, I think that's quite an interesting. That price point commodity would be fascinating to see what happens there. Um, and then third of all is the ubiquitousness of coverage. It's a big word, Brett. Sure. I mean, I tried private, to private school education didn't go to waste. Yeah, huh? no, Saint, th- thanks, Saints. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> from a Parktown boy, right? <laughs> we'll talk rugby later. <laughs> For those that are going to St. Stithian's Festival, you will find me there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the free gratuitous punt. <laughs> <laughs> That's also a big word. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So if we break it up into those three kind of sectors, and let's 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 start with the, the form factor, okay? Um, and yeah, I'd like to pick up where you left off on Nokia, right? So there's some really interesting plays. We're going backwards. We're going forwards on probably one of the most iconic brands on the wow. planet. Maybe maybe tell you. So you, we go to Mobile World Congress, okay? And you've got eight halls, okay? To walk from one side of the conference as you enter to other. If no one stops you, it takes you probably an hour. Okay. Is that why you're looking so much trimmer? Uh, that, that could be it. 25,000 steps a day. Oh. <laughs> I'm trying, trying hard. I'm getting married next month, Brett. Got to be tax ready, oh, bud. Congrats, bud. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Lisa needs a medal. Good, eh? <laughs> she needs a trophy. <laughs> but, um, you go into, 
and this just I want to touch on this. It was very interesting. I talked about the 108,000 attendees coming to to Mobile Congress. For me, it's becoming a very consumerized show. It used to be very B two B, mobile operators, vendors. You do the deal, mm. you carry on. You're seeing a lot more consumers, a lot more OTT. Really? Yeah, I, I definitely got that feel. Looking for services and only 10 percent of attendees were mobile operators. Wow. Only, only 10%. So there is, and they're looking for because of the impact of Facebook, Google, um, your handsets, the brands that these guys are creating. Now consumers are looking at that. So you go into these halls and you look at the size of the stands that you see there mm. and it, from everyone. Okay. From Sony to Blackberry to, to Huawei, um, you know, Samsung had a couple of massive stands. On that note, was Google there? I mean, uh, the last time there I were was... there were bots everywhere. There were little Android everywhere, little Androids everywhere. It was magic. And, um, so, there, there was Google there. Google was there. Facebook was there. Fantastic. And the big one for me, actually, was Nokia. So, Nokia had this massive stand, like 50 meters by 30 meter stand. And then you saw this crowd of people building. And then there it was, the Nokia 3310 <laughs> relaunch. It's a bit of you this way, Brett. I could only get hold of the device on the third day because I had to go first thing in the morning because I couldn't get through the crowd of people to get to the device. But do they know who you are? Do I even know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was tough. I mean, yeah. because, and I think it's a very interesting play. Yeah. Um, because people are so excited about this 3310 relaunch. This is an old feature phone that they're relaunching. Let's think about this. Everyone else is promoting smartphones. Okay. Yeah. Now they're talking about this feature phone that, you know, what did someone call it to me? The Chuck Norris of cell phones was indestructible. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we all remember that from when we, you know, from 15, 17 oh, years we ago. Do, we should do a whole lot of memes like that, right? Exactly. And, and you, I put this, finally gone in. Now we're talking to get to the devices like four people deep because people are playing snake. Yeah. Going in, looking at the device, playing with the device. Um, it was, it was, it was fascinating. I think it was a great play by Nokia to get people onto the stand. Yes. Okay. So there's yes. that whole brand nostalgia going. And I'm, cause everyone loves their 3310. Exactly. They had all the colors going. Now you've got Have to they actually started any distribution deals. Now what I, when I was picking the brains of the guys there, they're looking now quarter two that they'll actually start actually shipping the device. I, I must be honest. I was a bit worried about the price points and I'd love anyone from HMD to actually come in and have a chat about the price points and the, the, the they're not mentioned the price point yet. $52. Apparently. What? No, man. That's what I heard. Four, five dollars. $52. So no, that's nuts. So I think that's going to be very interesting, but, but the trade off you get is this literally days and weeks of battery life. Yeah. And I think when you look at, again, uh, the challenges facing your mobile consumer, your emerging mobile consumer mm. in the African continent, it's access to power. So mm. we can charge our phones every night. You know, we got power banks. We can do that. In many cases, in, in some markets, you, you can't do that. Rolling blackouts. We think we've got a bad year in South Africa. Mm. We're in paradise when it comes to mm. when you see how other markets are battling with, with their power supply. And when you look at that, that, that becomes a decision point. Mm. Now you build it back to the, the, the nostalgia of the strong Nokia brand. Good build quality. Um, and it becomes a very interesting place. So I'll be interested to see how the success of that price point will be in the African market. I think a lot of people, yours truly included, will want to get one just for mm, that nostalgic sure. factor. Um, it can be my burner phone, my very fancy burner phone when I'm traveling. <laughs> for, like, your burners and you're getting up to dodgy deals again. Is that what it, it is? is what it is, Bruce. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Sorry, boss. <laughs> um, so I think that's going to be interesting. When I, when I started to unpack further with the guys from HMB, uh, HMD, they then started to talk about their smartphones. So now Nokia yes. starting to read. Yes. Re- the dream smartphone, right? A Nokia with Let Android. Let me tell you, Brett, 
if if Nokia had launched their Lumias running vanilla Android four years ago, would be a very different discussion today. Oh. And we know the history of that. If you're in the mobile space, mm. now you're running vanilla Android oh. on a Foxconn built. Nokia smartphone. Oh my god, the, the, it's, that's, that's stunning. It's going to be good to watch. It's going to be very good to watch. I think Nokia, I'm sorry, I think Samsung, Huawei are going to have to keep their eyes open. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with Aptek. Are you going to get a 50% market penetration in two years' time? No. But you will get that 9, 10, 11, 12% market share. And I think that's where they're going to be playing, in my opinion. The build quality is going to be good. I held and touched the device. The price points are, are not are not far off from their competitive price points with other devices. Um, in the sub 150s, $130, $150 for the for the entry level, and I and I don't want to say entry level like, like it's a fifty dollars smartphone. It is the, the yeah. grade above that. Yeah, yeah. but eighty to hundred dollars. Yeah, okay. I think there's going to be a very interesting thing to watch. Now, now you think about that. You talk people are trans that. Getting that nostalgia feeling back from the 3310, looking at what they're doing, that stand was humming. It was a busy, busy stand. Now, let's go down the hall to the other handset manufacturers. My my issue, unfortunately, with the smartphone presence that I saw, and everyone was talking about their new smartphones, from Samsung to Huawei and all that, phenomenal devices. My worry was the only thing that I felt was actually really differentiating the functions and features that I would get from the phones was the brands themselves. So yeah, they're all the same, right? Yeah. When you actually break it down, if you compare spec for spec, you've got, you know, it's like the, you know, the PC industry. You either got Intel or AMD. You know, pretty much a lot of these chipsets mm. are, 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 are Snapdragon. in the same space. Built in the same the space. The same CPUs. Same amount of RAM. The <clears> screen, I think no. there was a big lift in screen qualities, mm. you know, the whole 4K screen mm. cameras and that sort of thing. But if you actually, from a practical perspective, compare the phones together, it's on the small features that I think they're trying to differentiate themselves. Sony mm. started it three years ago with waterproof, waterproofing their, yeah. their, their experience. Now you see Samsung and others. That's like the big push now. Camera quality. Screen quality. Um, but so, the, but surely the real ask for for consumers, and maybe I'm just speaking as a context of mm. one from myself, from my own point of view, yeah. would be battery life and the what do you call it? The sturdiness, the toughness the of build, of build. the screen. Yeah, I think that's, that's those the, are the two things that frustrate the hell out of me. Exactly, and I think a lot of handset manufacturers are doing really good things in that sort of space. I I don't know, and I must be honest, and Brett, maybe you can comment mm. on this. Um, I don't understand why we can't get a smartphone that runs on the th- for three days without having to recharge it. When when you look at what Tesla and Elon Musk are doing in the battery space, you know, I, I can't understand why we have to charge these phones every night. Some phones are going; they claim an, into two days of charge life. I can't understand why we haven't evolved that fast. I'm, I'm fascinated. I wonder if someone, what's the technology that F1 cars use when they brake and it generates more turbo boost? I can't remember what's, I want to say it's TDS or something. Oh, I'm not, I'm not. Are you pushing my boundaries? As they're braking, it starts generating, taking the brake for the power then, and then the energy that's generated there yeah. and it loads it into a, a spare compartment that's and they use that for a boost. Yeah. And I'm just thinking that kind of thinking around power. And you combined the chronology watches, the technology around using momentum mm. yeah. to keep the, the, the power going. Stored I know energy, some sort of stored energy, yeah. Where it can regenerate itself, yeah. right? Like every time we pick up the phone, every time we pick up the phone, I mean, you don't want to know what I'm actually doing with my hand here as I pick up my phone, but you can just very picture awkward. me picking and it's pulling up the phone guys. a couple of times. <laughs> 
<laughs> but surely that's generating kinetic energy. Um, surely, uh, I understand software is a real problem because mm. in an ecosystem that's kind of unregulated, Android mm. does put down uh, guidance and so does uh, Apple around how to use the battery and functions mm. and features. But we're seeing a big trend in, in, in the app developers to just accept all rights on all features yeah. and push it into the phone and then just chew away because it's really not their problem. So maybe it's a big industry thing we've got to look yeah, at we, from that perspective. I think so. And we both know from our experiences with mobile applications, um, one of the biggest user drawbacks of a mobile app is when it's running in the background and eating your battery life, not even so much your data, and that's a different mm. issue. Mm. But that ability to be able to conserve battery life in a device, I think, is, is something that more people need to be more conscious of when building mobile applications, building devices, because I think it's a big problem. Especially in emerging markets. How many handset? And I remember we did this at Google. We took the Gmail software engineers mm. on a one week tour um, into Africa. Um, where did we go? We did we go four ways. Four. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's coverage problems there too, right? <laughs> in, 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 into Senegal. <laughs> and we said, okay, you, you, you have $2 a day, um, uh, you have to exist with food and connectivity from the time you get up, we're not feeding you. And we'll give you a nice dinner at the end. Now, you need to start using a whole lot of Google services, register for email, um, do the sign-up process. Most of the guys couldn't make it happen. They, they, they had to find and buy their own phone. I think we gave them something like uh, uh, $20, and they had to do a bit of trading to get the extra bit of money. So we really tried to get the feeling right. So they really experienced what it was like. Right. And this was about four – no, no, it was longer, about six years ago. Yeah. I wonder if the handset manufacturers are doing that in this emerging market, which is their future market. Uh, I think they need to, and mm. I'd be surprised if they're not. Mm. Um, I think what you are finding is – a lot of the smaller players are starting to eat the lunch of the bigger players. Hmm. So um, I was recently in Nairobi. I was in Nairobi in, in Feb. And I look up in the sort of – if you've been to Nairobi, hmm. you know the sort of classic Nairobi skyline. And right at the top there was a brand called Techno. Okay, which – okay, cool. Uh, what is that brand Techno called? Park, Techno Park. <laughs> and I started to research and it was, a, it was an emerging mobile handset. New brand wow. coming out. Been around for actually a couple of years now. But playing on different things and playing on the things that consumers are looking at. So, you know, your whole social media selfies that a selfie phone, all that sort of stuff, mm. which is what the bigger players are doing. Mm. But they're now being a little bit more innovative, a little bit more, I think, trying to be a little bit more agile and aware of what their consumers are doing. I'm not saying the bigger handset guys aren't doing that, but your rated speed at which you need to innovate now with these emerging consumers needs to accelerate. If you're not, a, if you're not accelerating at the speed of your consumer, you're being left behind. And it really does feel like mobile there. So let's up the game then on our yeah. side. Okay, so we, we know the form factor is pretty yeah. lame and dull at the moment. And I'm going to leave the door open for the next, uh, next topic on where yeah. that could possibly go. But if we take... Wireless and the ubiquitous nature of wireless. And let's, yeah. let's picture a world now that the price point of wireless becomes so uh, competitive that yeah. we're down to a daily subscription or a monthly subscription of $1. You can get wireless all you can eat. anywhere, all you can eat. Wi-Fi or mobile? Let's just say anything okay. at over 100 megs up and down. Now, let, let's picture that world. A little tear rolls down my cheek as I think about it. <laughs> is it a tear rolling down or is it? Uh, it's okay, awkward. Okay, no, it's awkward again. Sorry, guys. Um, he is excited at that. Though. Um, <laughs> so if that's the future, and it will be the future in the next five to ten years. So where does it go? Like, what 
is mobile going to look like? And I'm, well, I'm going to throw this whole platform play and chatbots. Is it the devices that are going to change? Is it the services that are going to change? What do we say? This is Brett. Put me on the spot here. So I think it's a, it's an interesting scenario that you're painting. Wet spot. G spot. <laughs> And you look at the you you look at that scenario, and you you got to play it from a different couple of different angles. So so one is that can you actually deliver that service? Is there affordability factor to be able to deliver that service? Now, we've seen in India with what Reliance are doing in that market, and for for those that might not know, Reliance launched a brand called Geo mm. a, a couple of months ago, and uh, without being too dramatic. Fucked that market up. Okay, so what, what, what was it? What was it? Basically, free internet mm. for everyone. They got a hundred million, hundred million subscribers in like two months. Okay, granted, it's a market of nine hundred million subscribers, but to get but all that of a sudden, you have a platform. Right? You got, you've got, you've got it's this, a bit like Facebook. I give away my social network, and everyone comes and joins on me. You, you look at that market, and you look how, unfortunately, the likes of of Vodafone, Idea, Airtel. Um, mm. uh, you're, you're just sympathising for the operators. I have to because they are in this court of God. Yeah. This has come in. Mm. And, and they're having to adapt their models to be able to support this. Now sure. you're sitting going, everyone's going, where's this market going to go now? It's, it's one of the big disruptions that's actually happened. And it's playing on this sort of thing. Let's create this ability for people to be able to access. Now, the reality is, in my view, at some point, they're going to have to charge for that service because they have to keep the lights on. Okay. But how do you, how do you monetize that, Brett? And that becomes the question we need to ask ourselves. You've been in the OTT yeah. space. But you, it's the same thing as saying WhatsApp needs to charge for the service, right? You would have, you would have thought mass, by now, right? Mass, mass rioting, if you had to. I mean, because WhatsApp has completely disrupted SMS. Yeah. If you're in the game, and by the way, I was also in the game of SMS. I used to build these SMS mm-hmm. centers and deploy them all over the world, and the price point to be able to do that. And along came WhatsApp using oh. very similar technology. Blew a hole in it. Yeah. Now the question comes in. I think is where where can people monetize, mm. and is that monetization now coming into the data that is being generated by consumers engaging, and that information being fed to third parties to be able to advertise to them, the Google and Facebook model? Is that how you're going to be able to support these things going forward? I think those. Well, well are- you think about um, that advertising model. What that really is is you're getting. Free data in return for a free mm. product. And that data, if you take that at zero, the amount of margin these guys are slapping on it is to the thousands of a percent. That's why they're able to generate these cash machines. Now, I don't in, know. Yeah, it's a but, bit of a, uh, but now we've got physical cost to this. Like yeah. software is not, it's, it's human cost, cost right? Yeah. So now you've got a physical investment, a capex investment that's going down. And now you've got to monetize that. Right. So let's talk about the form factor then. So yeah. if you're in this world, where you've got free data, free Wi-Fi, whatever, whatever it, it is, is, you know, but you have free access. And I'm just wondering if this might help us unlock what that revenue could be. What is it going to look like? And I'm going to use the point of um, Google's just launched a new jacket with Levi. And that jacket has got built-in uh, microfibers. And basically they're saying instead of wearing a watch as a wearable – why aren't your clothes becoming wearable? So you touch your clothes in a certain yeah. area yeah. Um, and, and, and you get to answer mm. your call. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, this is John, 
This is Brit. You're swiping each nipple depending on who's calling. Um, so you're mixing gesture plus touch into the clothing environment with an earpiece. Where's the phone now? Well, is the phone to ask this, answer this question? And I'm going to bring an example from, from Mobile World Congress. Mm. Gesture control in cars. So mm. a lot about yes. self-driving autonomous cars. I drove a 520 the other day. And how was that? Gesture- paying you well that EPSA, huh? No, no, it was a test, test vehicle that oh, I realized okay. I could not afford. It had gesture control on its volume. So now how's <gasps> this? You got these. That's really cool. That's nifty. At Mobile World Congress, you've got a guy with two little A3, you know, the little electric cars mm. and a little playpen. Mm. And he's literally, by moving his hand, he's reversing the car. No. I mean, it's gimmicky that's and crazy. fun, but you, that's where the future is going. Correct. So, I think that the. Are so you telling me that the outsurance guys will control us? <laughs> oh, they aren't, aren't they already? Appointment at every single intersection. That's the new autonomy. Exactly. <laughs> going back to your question, I think where does the form factor actually sit? Yeah. Your form factor is, I think, still, regardless if it's a wearable, regardless if it's a mobile device, an earpiece, a. Uh, you know, contact, contact lens, glasses, mm. whatever it might be. Okay. Mm. It's still a piece of technology that the user is enabling or being used to enable an action to be able to happen. Mm. We, I still think you've got, again, you've got an affordability. The smaller something gets, we know the more expensive mm. something gets. Mm. So a bigger jacket, the better. Is that what you're saying? Well, for the two of us, if you've seen the size <laughs> of us, I think that's what we're going to need. <laughs> we'll uh, post a photo afterwards. <laughs> So you've got you've got that factor that you need to keep it you, you need yeah. to keep in mind. You've got you those sort of things. I think will always be in your early early emerging or your what do you call them, Brett? The um, early stage, early stage uh, adopters, yeah, of, early adopters, of, yeah. early adopters of your of, yeah. of your product. Um, when it gets to mass market application, I think we we are a long way away from that. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I'm to if I'm to be fair, but look, 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 seriously, this is the show where we can kind of fast forward, yeah, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm just trying to think now, like, so you're right. It, it's probably not going to be a handset anymore. And everyone thinks it's going to be the flexible screen yeah. and we're going to solve a lot of these kind of constraints of a yeah. handset. Now, imagine the services that are going to have to be built around this, these, right? Yeah. Um, and I keep thinking if we're in this world at the moment where the platform play, and that's why people are getting into bots, that's, right? Yeah. Why download an app? I truly do believe that apps are going to die. You're going to have some core apps in the social space or chat space and then let's really push the boundaries mm. in the voice space with home alexa you're kind of going things. backwards yeah your internet of things 100 percent. what is your view on the internet of things actually because it may not be wearable but it's around us yeah, so. solving the same problems so so if you look at the internet of things it's about and what's interesting is it's when it started out, and for again for your audience, the Internet of Things is a, being able to connect a object to mm. be able to use that particular object. So the uh, classic use cases are monitoring devices on refrigerators, for example, feeding back information to somewhere that you can use. Brett, amongst Brett, why are you eating so much? Exactly. <laughs> Martha comes and snaps on the back of the head. Um, Put that beer down. <laughs> um, so there's many use cases. Now we're starting to see this shift from consumer to the enterprise and the sort of Internet of Things space. But how do we utilize that to make it create better value for the for 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 your subscribers? So or for 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 a consumer? So you know, you it's think it's nice the fridge can say hello. But what what but, what's next? Correct. Yeah. Why can't the fridge order my food for me because it sees the things that are leaving? And then replenishes it by putting an order to to the store to store to have it delivered to my house. But it'll disrupt all the the stores, right? No need for a retail store no, if your fridge is doing your ordering. But that's is that not a 
interesting concept to have a look at. You know, how much does it cost to, to maintain a retail store when you just got DCs? There's this little little company you might have heard of it called Amazon. Yeah, interesting, yeah. interesting company. You know, mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos yeah. doing some interesting things. I see, in the, I see Take a Lot just raised another oh, billion rand. And well wow. played, NAS, NASPAS. Yeah, good, good, cool. so, so, and there's no retail outlet. Mm. You know, um, I, I mean, I, uh, I'm going into that phase now. A lot of my friends have got kids and that sort of thing, and often say the cheapest place to get nappies is take a lot. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so now, why can't we connect that to the Internet of Things, where my fridge is monitoring, or my or my pantry, or whatever it might be, is monitoring baby poo, baby poo, um, monitoring <laughs> what's what's actually what's being consumed, and proactively through intelligence learning. What my consumption patterns are and replenishing my stock of whatever it is on the fly. That's a future state that would be very interesting to, to, to see. I'm kind of thinking about the topic of the show and we're saying it's the future of mobile. But yeah. It's leaning more towards the future of mobility, yeah. making humans more mobile mm-hmm. in their space and being able to consume services. And I keep thinking of it. We've spoken a lot about this in previous shows mm. where products are becoming the new services. Your Uber is, mm. is becoming a service. So you, you don't need to buy the products. And I wonder if that same service feeling when the handsets, if banks were to fund them, are the yeah. start of offering a handset as a service that move to the, mm. the devices around you as a service that maybe you'll start getting a whole lot of sensors, products yes. and everything given to you. And on you, the pretense that you're going to use the services, right? I think I think you see I think you see that coming through. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I must be honest. I, I, probably about four years ago, I bought mm. a, a Kindle mm. and bought into the into the Kindle something called WhisperNet. I don't mm. know if you've yes. seen WhisperNet. Yeah. Mm. So Fantastic. an embedded SIM card onto the device. I have no idea what that SIM card is. Just in magic, I would hate did. to know the price they pay. But that's that's interesting because now you've got the Kindle, which is an access device to be able to download your books. I'm now sitting, and I remember this use case. I was in Ghana. Actually, that's exactly what we're talking about. This ubiquitous, yeah. So I'm sitting in Ghana. Right? I'm sitting in my hotel in Ghana. Wow. I'm, I want to download a book. I can't get onto the Wi-Fi. WhisperNet fires up <laughs> and says, "Cool, I'm going to connect to the network that I'm whatever deal they've done in the background. Wow. I don't know about this. I don't, do wow. I really care? No, not really. I just want to make sure that I'm not getting a bill for the download of that of that book. Now, the world is going to turn on its head. All I maybe that's for, how the, the services are monetized. Exactly. Right? It's not, so I don't know if it's still running. I must be honest. And if you, anyone who can correct me on that would be great. Oh, but I just lost my, my I left it on the plane <laughs> yesterday. But but that Damn was it. a use case that I experienced four years ago, five years ago, sitting in a hotel room in Accra. You know, that for me was, wow, that is amazing. That is a- allowing connectivity. I, all I paid was for the book. I got my product. That's an end-to-end user experience that was just for a book. One click. I mean, it's phenomenal. We, we, didn't, we don't even notice it. We take it for granted, right? And I think that's, that's the true sense of a really awesome service when you don't – it's not imposed on you. When it just becomes part of the transaction, it's just fluency. If you look at a lot of consumer engagements, I think that's the biggest challenge. You know, you've got to do this to do that to do that, and it becomes a stick. It becomes a stickling point. So think about the user experience on MNOs, mobile network operators. At the moment, you want a device. Where do you go? You got to go to a store. Oh, yeah, um, and you got to reco. Because it's a legislation, you got to now do that. You got to get a proof of. We put in these barriers that make it less digital. And fast forward five years' time, there's no such thing as a retail store in the space. Yeah, hundred percent. So what what do we do then? And I think that's a that's a phenomenal space to be in to to look at where that could be going. You look at the informal trade 
um, sector in the African continent, you know, your spaza shops and that sort of thing. I, I got back from, I was in Uganda last week, um, in, in Kampala. And for anyone that's been to Kampala, they will know this. You land in a little town called Entebbe mm-hmm. and it's a sort of an hour, hour and a half's drive into, into Kampala, sort of the main road. And literally you've got from barbers to, to, to shops, to, to guys selling meat on the side of the road, furniture, mm-hmm. literally for this 30, 30 kilometer, 35 kilometer ride. Mm-hmm. Now that is the, that is where trade is, is happening. You know, how do you leverage that? Is that your wedding register? Is it along that road? Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, I interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're looking at that sort of informal sector. How do you, yeah. how do you leverage that? How do you not mm. disrupt that? Because that is a live, live blood of, of, of a community. You know, that money is going back into the, mm. back into the home. But how do you enable them to be able to get better? How yeah. do you improve their their turnaround by using mobile phones? So, Hence so that's the service is around exactly. payments is the big focus. So, right so now, you right? look at these these mm. these these agents, or let's say these spaza shop owners are selling airtime. They're a, they are an agent for for the respective mobile operator to sell airtime, and they're an agent for deposit taking for mobile money. You know, they are selling. Products. So the the big big thing now in the last couple of years has been the the sort of micro insurance fintech space. Your airtime credits through to loans, unsecured loans. Yes, it's a it's a grey area at the best of times, an interesting area depending what side of the fence you're sitting. Um, but now you're starting to create a, in my view, a a a shop owner who's not just focused on one thing. He's becoming multiple, multiple, multifaceted. His consumer can get five different things from him and it's all service orientated. It's all digital. It's all electronic. And yeah. how we leverage that is going to, and how mobile and this operators. This is in Africa, right? This is, I mean, this, this is fast tracking. This is what I don't think people realize is the amount of innovation happening across Africa. Using what limited resources we had, yeah. imagine if we could provide more resources into that space. Our very good friend Andrew McHenry, mm, you know, the, 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 the current co, the current chair of, of Mobile Monday mm. has always maintained this and he says, need drives innovation in Africa. You've got a need, you've got a challenge, let's try to solve it in the simplest way possible. And you'll find this coming through. I think, I hate to say it and I'm going to say it because at every show that someone does, they mention this, but Impesa was a great example of that. Trying to solve a need, the banking, lack of banking infrastructure to be able to do that how do we evolve that and that's safaricom's next challenge how do they then now evolve their service which is which dominates the financial services industry in in kenya Mm. how are they evolving that um how are other companies doing that and i think that's where you start to say this fintech space is is growing so so rapidly and we i guess south africa made a mistake or vodacom made a mistake trying to bring in pesa here it was just trying to bring in a sexy solution and forgot to think about the need, right? Yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting one. You've got South Africa, I think, is its own. And again, being in the you in the banking space mm. would we'll be able to comment this a bit better than I. But we we've got a mature banking infrastructure. You've got a as as um, controversial as it is, and I don't want to get into mature it. Mature being the opera, operable. Say it, say it, Bridget. I can't say it. Come on. I've given up. Next. <laughs> you've got a, you've got a social grant system that's in place. Okay. Right or wrong. And yeah. how that, and we won't get into that discussion point. Um, th- that, that system banked unbanked 10 million people with it, with it, with it, with a debit card. Mm. Um, we've got a, we've got an infrastructure that's in there. Impesa, when it went up, went down and relaunched, you know, was it made? Was it? Did it fit our market? Mm. Probably not. And I think mm. there's been a lot of mobile services, mobile money services that have come and gone. I think there's some that was are in the place. MTN one. Uh, MTN bought them. Uh, it was um, Time Capital. Time Capital. Yeah. So that's that's okay, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's all right. going. You got Flash. 
down yeah. down in Cape Town, doing some interesting stuff with I think Pep, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I so there is, and, and all those guys a, also coming out. Not yeah, so there is there is there is room for it, but when you've got we, you need a lot of pieces to work together for it to 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 mm. to really work. Um, and you're going to win some, and you're going to lose some. That's just the reality of. Any product that you put into a market, uh, just because it works in one market doesn't necessarily mean it's going to automatically work in another market. Correct. And that's a, that's a big challenge for anyone that's going to be launching products and services moving forward into, into, into Africa. I think you've also, like, uh, why I get excited about Africa and, and the future of Africa and innovation is a core principle to riding or building startups is that A, there's a need. Mm. B, there's scarcity of resources. Mm. And that scarcity is like Mother Nature naturally culling the ideas or concepts that are just yeah. not going to work. And if you take those two core features in Africa, we, we have a lot of problems that we need to solve. We have scarcity around resources. So the ideas that work mm. had better work. Or all those ideas being exposed. I think this is another thing, Brett. That's a good point. How, how do so, you reach in media like Silicon Valley has yeah. on a global scale? So right? I looked at, at Mobile World Congress again, mm. and one of the interesting stands that was there, and I'll use them as an example, there's two or three of them, was um, the is- Israeli Trade Commission, I think is what they're called, mm. had, had a big stand, a massive stand, with 64 exhibitors Boom. on their stand, but it was all from Israeli companies, tech companies, that were given literally a little sort of desk and a little screen to be able to show their wares. Boom. Now, would that person be able to promote their product in Mobile World Congress? Hell no. It's just too expensive. Your cost mm. of entry is too expensive. Mm. Now, they've sort of, you know, aggregated, they've aggregated that I mean, cost to coming together. Now, the, the Jordanian, UK is famous for doing that, by no, the way. No, 100%. So now, I looked at this and I was mm. going, uh, and Brett, you know, we, we've been in the app space, the startup space for, for many years, and you've seen really awesome ideas come and go. You've seen concepts work really well and be successful in those that haven't. But are people given the opportunity to be able to show the world that? No, because it's very hard to be able to get to an event like Mobile World Congress. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a $20,000 investment for someone. You know, it's a hell of a lot of money when these okay. guys can't even, you know, That is pay your bills. build, right? That's your build. 100%. To build the product in the startup space. So, so I think the challenge comes in is why is not the Department of Trade and Industry in this country sort of saying, well, guys, how can we support you? We want to build technology. We've seen what's happening in the universities. You see what's happening with the likes of MLab and, and other, and other startup initiatives that are trying to stimulate this thing. Mm. You know, why can't we put you onto the global scale? We, 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 you know, likes of Silicon Cape and, and all these sort of initiatives out there, but they're, we sort of a little island. We're not exposing our guys. Are we, are we giving the government, giving them the opportunity to be able to expose themselves? I mean, that's a challenge. Uh, why can't we do that? You know, why could we rustle up some guys that give a couple thousand dollars because you can say something is a free ride, but give them the ability to be able to showcase their wares on a global scale. I commend the, the Israeli government for doing what they did because it was like I saw some phenomenal stuff that you would not normally have seen walking through that walking through that stand. I think you're right. We always think, you know, why don't we focus on our own problems and African yeah. problems? And I think it's it's the bigger picture around emerging markets. Now, the reason why Silicon Valley does so well is the access to a global market. Yeah. So the scale they have yeah. to be able to reduce their price points and shrink their margins and still make billions versus us just focusing on a very small oh. market, you need to have some form of global footprint. You need scalability. Even if it's an emerging yeah. market. You need scalability and you need access to capital. Mm. You need VC. And I think there is, there's a lot of VCs down here. 
Mm. Um, are, are they giving out the same sort of VC money that you would get in the States? Mm. No, and we know that. I think we also lack a lot of exposure. And my, my experience, yeah. and we've spoken about this before, is mm. the ability to build and innovate. It's a methodology that's been honed and refined by Silicon Valley. Mm. And there's no organization out there that's really sharing that and giving our startups an opportunity to do this. Yeah. Now, I'm going to pause this here. I want to, I want us just to kind of fast forward even further forward. I want us to really think about voice as the new mobile platform. <laughs> and I'm picturing this world, and I, I, I can't remember if it was Bruce Willis or one of those guys in one of these movies where they're literally walking around and they have an implant in their ears mm. and the, the, as they are passing by billboards, and I'm using inverted commas here, and, mm. and advertising is just appearing in minority front of reports. them. I think it was minority, like minority reports, report, right? Yeah. And it's really way out thinking, but everything is through voice. voice. Now, if I expand on that very quickly to set the scene, what's beautiful about voice is you have authentication. Mm. Because you have authentication, you have an identity. Mm. Because it's your voice, you have a location, Function. you have context, you understand exactly what services, you have a sense of the mood that a person's in. C- context. Context to it's the ultimate context for a platform. Now let's let's think about this. Let's put it into practical terms. Mm. There's nothing worse than a miscommunication over a WhatsApp message, oh. which is or delivered email. by voice or over email, which if delivered by voice is a completely different message. I think you 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 were talking talk, talking to me earlier today about about Skype and what they're doing with translating services. Yeah. Now you're breaking down that barrier because language is always a barrier. Real time translation. Like, oh my god! Ten languages. I mean that's insane. Um, I think voice has that. By the way, everybody, uh, John is actually Chinese, and we're using the service at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Wiles' <is> trousers. <laughs> I've got nothing. I've got nothing. <laughs> so, so voice, voice as a utility. Let's think about voice as a utility. Oh. You know, you open the tap and water magically appears. You know, why can't you pick up the phone and? That's like my wife. Are you talking about my wife here? Not again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so th- I think that's, that is a future yeah. stage. You still, yeah. people still want to communicate. People still want to talk, be it, if it's a text message or a voice call. 70, 80% of revenues for mobile operators still come via the voice channel. Yes, it's decreasing and data taken over and Skype and WhatsApp calling and disrupt, disrupting this. And that's all fine and dandy. Brett, if I had to challenge you this on a daily basis, how many WhatsApp calls to voice call, normal GSM voice calls do you make? That's still a fortune, a ton. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I was speaking for the operator there. Yeah. You're still making it. You're still making a ton of voice calls, yeah. even though WhatsApp, Skype, simplicity G-talk, of it, right? Because it's there and it's we're available. Designed. Yeah. Uh, Elon Musk keeps on talking about we're slowing down artificial intelligence mm. because the input from humans is still analog, and what he meant by that was. It's driven by thumbs yeah. on a phone. Uh, our, our eyes are HD. Our ears are HD. Mm. Our voice is real time. Mm. But the input. But the input at the moment through fingers. Fingers were not designed for that. Fingers yeah. were designed for picking noses. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating state to be in. Now, do you want to be in the in the in the world of the minority report? Privacy of information becomes important. Security. So actually, on that note, let's touch on the security elements. Because security is a bit of a scary thing, and I and, and I was thinking about Chrysler. So remember when Chrysler was um, hacked, and they started the car. Mm. So the guys externally managed to hack a Chrysler, open the doors, and start it. The Internet of Things coming back. Internet of Things. 
So that's quite scary, right? So if we really fast forward this, we're at risk of cyber criminals surely hacking our clothes and our clothes walking off. Oh, <laughs> be better than losing them out on a night on the time. Right? <laughs> you will have a good excuse this time. Yeah, I was about to say, I think that's happened to us. No, often. and that's and that's a, that's a definite future state. You, twenty, thirty years, years from now, people understanding you better. So the the world of predictive purchasing. You know, we spoke about Amazon earlier today and their, rec- their recommendation engine, their ability to be able to understand what you're going to purchase and recommend that to you. That's based on data points, based on your usage. Now, imagine that. Before you've even clicked, yes, they've already started dispatching, right? Can you imagine that state? Can you imagine that world? The world where a financial services company understands that you're about to make this purchase decision because based on your age, based on uh, you're about to be married, you're going to have kids, you might need a, a bigger house. Mm. Okay. My world, that's my world now. And my bank starts to say to me, John, we understand this. And in fact, we're willing to give you a home loan because we, you, in this area, you're likely, we predicted you're likely to live in this area in the next 20 years. Okay. Here's a favorable home loan to be able to secure your business now rather than five years time. That's a powerful state to be in. But at the same time, yeah. that privacy of information is very, very important to keep in mind. How we lock it down, the cybercrime that's going on, I think I think that's a topic in its own. Uh, completely. So, John, I'm going to start wrapping up now, and I, w- I want to share a thought. And, and I'd like to get uh, your wrap-up after yeah. this. So, now, if networks and the speed of networks are literally increasing at an exponential rate, yeah. I mean, it's quite scary that I get 100 megs into my house now. Yeah. I could easily get a gig. And that's always been a barrier to how we shape our services, Mm. how we deliver the services, how we charge for them. Mm. I think that that will truly become as ubiquitous as electricity is around us at the moment. Um, I feel that it's going to go to a free point exactly like what you were saying uh, in in India. That's driving. We're going to see a lot more of those kind of disruptors. And I really do believe that the device form factor is going to shift and it's going to shift everywhere. And I don't mm-hmm. think we're going to have a say in what that form factor is. I think who is going to have a say. And I keep thinking of Google Glass and glass holes, mm-hmm. how society is very sensitive to technology and the intrusion mm-hmm. and how it's kind of emanates. I think we're going to see a shift where brains will move to health, brains will move to fashion mm-hmm. and the experts in that space will start to uncover what's really going on and what will really emanate as a form factor. I think we have cybersecurity is going to be a real challenge for us, and we need to put a massive investment in there. I think what's important is that we really start focusing on solving customer problems from that contextual Mm. point that you made. Mm. I think we're in an incredibly exciting space, and it's very scary. So what a fun space and a fun time no, to completely. be in. No, completely. The, the, the things that you see now coming coming to the fore, companies innovating, consumers seeing value, connecting your unconnected. Um, this is this, These are trends that are only going to ramp up now as as, as, mm-hmm. as we move on. We, we already see governments saying that, you know, is, is connectivity not a basic human right? That's that's the start. Right? Ma- Maslow's or, or layer of, I can't even remember, Ma- Maslow's. Hierarchy, of, hierarchy needs. of needs. That's right. And There's some brains in the room. And it's not the two of us. It's the lovely lady sitting behind you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the world we're going to. How we choose to do that is going to be interesting. And those those who have the ability to be able to do that need to think through it and not just say, can we get a quick buck now? It's about, it's about, the, it's about the, end, the end goal, the end state. 
Thank you very much, John. And Brett. you can uh, find John at John Hula on Twitter. John, you've been an absolute Brett, superstar. Yeah, absolute mensch. Thank you, bud. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us today. I miss the crew, but you can follow us on at Futurology Show and share with us any topics you want to speak or listen to about in the future. Thank you very much. Cliffcentral.com.